Next on Making Sense of the Madness, we dive into the science of vaccinated blood and how we've been divided into two classes of people. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now. Well, Clinton Ohlers is director of media relations for Safe Blood Donation. He earned his PhD from the University of Pennsylvania, where he focused on the history of science. Dr. Ohlers, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about your organization. Well, great. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, what we do at Safe Blood is we are primarily focused on helping people get blood for blood transfusions without having to resort to the pool of blood that's currently available, which is mixed with both vaccinated and unvaccinated donors. In other words, people who have not been vaccinated yet, uh, who wish to remain unvaccinated and not receive vaccinated blood during a medical procedure, uh, they are looking for uh, unvaccinated donors, as are people who have had the shot but don't want uh, added exposure. So what we're doing is we're providing the means for them to do that. We do that uh, by two ways. You know, one is through education. A lot of people, uh, most people don't understand that you can reduce the need for blood transfusions by up to you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 80% simply by doing things, uh, basically by donating to yourself, whether through uh, what's called auto uh, transfusion, where you request the hospital would use your own blood first or auto logos where you donate to yourself. But then in, in instances where people can't, you know, for uh, medical reasons, what we do is we match people with uh, donors uh, in their area who have said, hey, I'm not vaccinated and I am willing to give blood to help somebody else. So we do uh, that matching program is a big part of what we do. Very interesting. Tell me about the demand that you are aware of and tell me about the perceived risks and, and the risks that you're aware of, of vaccinated blood. Well, the demand, yeah, the demand is, the demand is increasing um, just massively. Uh, you know, we've got members uh, in you know, quite a number of countries, uh, I think uh, 27 countries currently, uh, and that keeps expanding uh, on, a, on a daily basis, really, uh, as people, you know, I think what happened was everyone, we, we got hit with COVID-19. Then we got hit with this question of, are the vaccines safe and safe? Then we, we discovered they're quite unsafe. And now people are thinking about, well, wait, what's the next thing then? Uh, I've, if I've remained unvaccinated and I want to stay unvaccinated, um, then I, I might not want this blood. And so as people's awareness of that is growing, we're just getting, uh, you know, really overwhelmed with requests, uh, you know, emails, uh, people contacting us, people volunteering to, to donate. So I would say the, the demand is, is very high and it's increasing and it's international. Let's it, dig into the it, risks, uh, yeah. perceived risk. I said perceived risk because maybe some people just don't know the science, but they just think there might be a problem with vaccinated blood. And then what's, what are some of the risks that you've dug into in your research? Yeah, for a lot of people, it's a common sense concern. Uh, in terms of our research, we've found that there are really risks at, at five potential levels, right? One is the risk of being exposed to spike protein in the blood uh, coming from a uh, vaccinated uh, individual. 
then there's uh, the risk of possibly getting mRNA still through that blood. You know, and this one's a little uh, a little more cloudy. We don't know exactly how long mRNA circulates. These are areas where study hasn't been done. So it's a risk until we know otherwise. Uh, the uh, polyethylene glycol that's in the blood, PEG, right? That is uh, something to which a uh, lot people could have anaphylactic shock. Uh, you've got uh, foreign bodies, you know, contaminants uh, in, you know, some of these vials and, and just foreign bodies as a part of the process of manufacturing the vaccine that we've seen stay, uh, you know, in the bloodstream for, you know, up to six months. You know, pretty much we're seeing these things staying as long as we're observing them, right? And, you know, sort of, for example, uh, people having spike protein, uh, you know, detected up to, you know, 60 days after uh, receiving the injection or a booster, but that's just because we looked at a window of 60 days, right? If we look further, we're finding that it's, uh, it's sticking around further. So, uh, and then the last thing are possible mRNA fragments, which is an interesting topic because those uh, in themselves uh, can code for uh, different proteins than the protein that is intended to be coded for. So if you get a, a broken uh, mRNA fragment, that can code for uh, its own protein, and those proteins can be carcinogenic. And that's actually a real concern. So those those are five risks that are involved. Well, there are the risks that you read about when you're doing research, and it's all just black and white on the paper. And then when you actually analyze the blood or you see symptoms of a person, uh, it really probably is another level of realization. Can you tell me about your analysis of vaccinated versus unvaccinated blood? Yes, well, let's, uh, the, that was what started uh, things off back in August of 2021. Uh, people looking at dark field microscopy began comparing, uh, particularly in Germany, vaccinated versus unvaccinated blood. And what they found was startling. And that, uh, our founder, George Della Pietra, he, based, he lives in Switzerland, he had run... Uh, naturopathic health clinics internationally. And he himself was uh, well acquainted with dark field microscopy, having analyzed thousands of uh, specimens himself. And he looked at this and said, we've seen nothing like this before. Never have we looked at blood samples and seen what we're seeing. Something needs to be done to secure the blood supply. And so that's really, that's how Safe Blood got started. Within a month, by September of 2021, uh, Safe Blood had been created. It's a fascinating origination story, but sounds a bit like a horror story by the way you're describing uh, the blood uh, that was just something they'd never seen before. Uh, let's take a look on yes. the screen of, of the image that you have on your website. Um, can you translate that for us? Yeah, so on the left, yeah, it literally needs translation here, Craig, because these studies were done in German. Uh, on the left, you've got the vaccinated blood, okay? On the right, you have a slide, and these are still shots, uh, of what healthy blood looks like under dark field microscopy. You can see that they are startlingly different, okay? And these are still shots taken from a video. So if you go to our website, uh, safeblood.us, and then go to the videos link or, ta or tab at the top, the first one here is uh, a video of this, and you can you can see that at about minutes, you can compare them at minutes going about minute 12 and minute 15. And you'll see they have a, we this is video of, a, although there we go, 
of a individual coming in and uh, that's the pinprick. Earlier you see the pinprick and this person's unvaccinated. And you can see uh, how also the blood moves more freely. It's something you don't see in the still shot. You know, the blood's moving slowly here on the slide, but, but this blood's free. It's not, it's unencumbered. And that other slide that we looked at, uh, you could see how uh, congealed uh, and stuck together that blood is, and it's not moving uh, as, as freely as this is. Yeah, and I'm seeing a very symmetrical circle uh, structures in the unvaccinated blood. And uh, the, the video is going to be continuing to show the, the vaccinated blood. How would you describe those structures? And what does that mean when, when you have these different uh, shapes or, or characteristics of the blood? Sure. If you look, I mean, one thing that stands out is this is bright, right? It's very, the, the light is coming through this blood uh, very well. It's illuminating the screen. What you also see is while we see blood uh, overlapping each other, okay, uh, or and free, you'll notice when we see that when we go on to the next uh, images, keep that in mind, uh, viewers, as we go to the next image, how different that that stacking of the blood is. This here, what we're looking at is overlapping blood cells. What we're going to see when we look at the vaccinated blood is not blood cells that are overlapping, but some blood cells that are doing something quite different. Um, right. And you mentioned and, uh, that the unvaccinated uh, blood is uh, quite bright when it's illuminated. And you're saying the unvaccinated blood has a different uh, uh, luminosity. It's, it's darker. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, these are, I mean, these are side by side off the same screen. Right. Um, and, and just look at the one on the left. Right. How much light's coming through that. And, and look then at the also, do you see how they are? These blood cells are not overlapping. They are stacked. OK, they're stacked a little like poker chips or uh, as one uh, uh, researcher, uh, Dr. Pretorius out of South Africa described, they're, they're linking up like Legos. OK. That's a clotting. Is that considered clotting? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, it's so, an early would be, it would be an early stage of it. I, I, I right, expect. right. Um, and well, I'll we be, are seeing. I'm, I'll be talking to examples of strokes more, and um, <laughs> strokes so, and heart attacks are issues of clots, are they not? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's why we've seen such a high increase. Uh, and that's, and look, it was the morticians, right. Who first noticed this stuff. Um, they, uh, you know, they were the ones who noticed these long, extraordinarily long clots running, you know, feet in length, right. You know, you're talking clots that are a couple feet long running up somebody's vein and they were noticing these in vaccinated patients. And again, this was something nobody had seen before. And well, I remember seeing those uh, images and and I really thought at first maybe this is just clickbait. I mean, is somebody, um, you know, putting something out there that's just like like some horror story that's going to get clicks and create a scandal and and this is fake. And sure enough, I mean, it turns out to be completely true. A doctor, you know, uh, pathologist, Dr. Ryan Cole, who testified at the Senator Ron Johnson hearing back in December. I mean, he's actively studying this. I mean, they're studying these clots now. And uh, he did a great interview on Del uh, Big Tree Show uh, a few weeks ago. People can go back and look, and you can see him uh, analyzing these clots. It's a very informative uh, uh, piece. But the other thing that then happened was, as concerns grew about the blood supply, 
guess who were among the first people to report that they were seeing these kinds of clots in people who apparently hadn't received the vaccine, but had received blood from a vaccinated individual. Those were the morticians again. And then we had another piece of the very disturbing and, and quite tragic and sad confirmatory evidence coming out of the state of Washington, where baby Alex, uh, just, you know, w within weeks of, uh, of being born, needed uh, a, a, sorry, for a congenital heart problem. And now this case was especially tragic because the parents, well, well to cut to the chase, he received the uh, vaccinated blood and then shortly thereafter died uh, from clotting. And what did they find on autopsy? They found a, a clot so long that it extended from his knee to his little heart, okay? So this wow. is confirmation, but in this case, what makes this so tragic, it needs to be said, these were parents who had reason, had concerns, they, not, not that they were anti-vaccine and all this, they just had concerns from the news that they were hearing. And so they said, well, let's, let's get blood for him that's unvaccinated. They set up everything right. They uh, uh, even had to pay additional fees to the hospital for this to be done. And then at some point in the procedure, the doctor just, you know, brushed it off as unimportant, gave the baby vaccinated blood, and that was the end of his life. Unbelievable. It reminds me of the story of the child in New Zealand uh, who was yeah. taken away from his parents. And they also tried everything they could to make their own blood available, unvaccinated blood, uh, but and yet the, the government just wouldn't have it. What do you think is behind that type of stance? Well, I think, uh, I think we know. I mean, this obviously goes into areas that, uh, that I think about a lot as you know, someone with a PhD in history. We need historical explanations for these things that don't make sense. And so why would you have a response like they had to, to this family? I mean, look, th this included like taking custody away of the the child from the parents. How traumatic do you think is taking custody away uh, for a child? Like, how traumatic is that? How traumatic is that to the parents, right? And, and why would you do that? Because simply because they had asked that he receive unvaccinated blood and they had 30 donors lined up. Now, keep in mind that, um, that directed um, blood donations are, were something that has been uh, common practice uh, for a long time uh, internet, you know, throughout the world. Uh, and there should no, be no, you know, concern about that. Uh, surprisingly, though, what happened during, uh, during this period of COVID, uh, suddenly hospitals have become much less uh, willing to do that. And this is true, like in Switzerland, for example, out of where we're based out of, you actually can't get this done. You can't get somebody else to, uh, to donate to you, and you can't even get your own blood. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive more into the science of vaccinated blood as soon as we get back. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900.
We wanted to create a premium way for our viewers to be able to connect with the influence of our movement. So we came up with Amp Insider. Get content, information, and special behind-the-scenes coverage that you can't find anywhere else. Only with a subscription to Amp Insider. And interact weekly with key leaders of the movement with Ask the Expert. Join us this Thursday at 8 p.m. and interact live with Sean Morgan. Get the first month for $1 by using the promo code AMP888. Go to ampnews.us now to sign up. Welcome to a new era of connecting patriots, AMP Insider. We're talking to Clinton Ohlers, the Director of Media Relations for Safe Blood Donations. So, Clinton, people in, in Switzerland, they can't even get their own blood transfused. They can't choose their blood donor. They have to leave the country to get some medical freedom. Uh, so this is really putting this issue yeah. uh, you know, on the forefront as people are just learning uh, what is medical freedom, right? Yeah, this, that, that's another thing that we're really fighting for is medical freedom, because this is a case where the restriction goes against the science. All right. Uh, one thing that we try to communicate is that, you know, blood transfusion is not risk free. OK. And so the most beneficial donor that you could get is yourself. So why wouldn't, you know, auto infusion uh, or auto transfusion, why would that not be the leading uh, preferred method? Uh, or why would autologos where you donate to yourself ahead of time, why, why would that not be uh why would that be discouraged? In other words, there's no good medical reason that you would discourage it. Rather, it's a policy that appears to have emerged right around the time of the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. And to give you an example, uh, it's, um, you know, uh, my, my wife's aunt, she had to go in for a procedure, you know, just a few years ago, about, I think about uh, six years ago. And, you know, she wanted to receive blood from uh, you know, friends and family members. And so she lined that up and it wasn't a problem at all. Um, so it, one good thing about the United States is we have a lot greater freedom here for that. It's, uh, um, you know, there, there's some resistance sometimes, but it's, but the hospitals are generally uh, pretty willing to let you have what's called directed donation, which is somebody else gives, gives you blood. And so to refer back then to what you're saying about these parents in uh, New Zealand, you know, my, my theory there, I think the best explanation is that, and because and this is the best explanation because it correlates with so many other things that we've seen, that so much has been done to dampen, to stamp out, to silence anything that would raise any questions about the safety of this vaccine. There seems to be a, been a scorched earth, uh, you know, policy towards anyone raising concerns all across social media, within uh, our, you know, uh, our health bureaucracies, uh, and, and, and so on. And I think what we see in New Zealand is, is an example of that. These parents were made an example of, I mean, really, what parent in New Zealand now is going to want to take the risk to ask for directed donation from somebody who hasn't received the vaccine? I mean, they're going to be scared to death to do that. Yeah, they're going to be afraid they'll lose their own child, the custody of their own child. So that has a chilling effect. Uh, but exactly. thankfully, your organization is, is setting the, the record straight about the science of uh, blood donations. So what are some other data points you're looking at regarding the safety of uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated blood? And what, where does more research need to be done? What are some questions that you have unanswered? 
Okay. Well, you know, first and foremost uh, is is the issue of of spike protein still in the blood, right? Because that's something that can cause uh, we're seeing could cause another person to have this clotting. And to give you an example of how significant that is, uh, earlier on in, in all of this, a French hospital came out and said openly that they were preferring vaccinated, or excuse me, that they preferred unvaccinated blood if they could receive it. And that was very quickly uh, suppressed, right? They were, they very quickly stopped making those announcements. They came under a lot of pressure. And the question was, why did they why, why were they preferring that? Well, we've looked into it, and a reason that they prefer unvaccinated blood uh, was that, and we know this through, through nurses and contacts in Switzerland, uh, who told us, look, we prefer unvaccinated blood because in the handling process, you know, from the time the blood's drawn through when it eventually reach, reaches the patient, you have more time if you have unvaccinated blood. Why? Because the vaccinated blood can start to clot. And so its shelf life is shorter. And if it starts to clot, it has to be disposed. So that tells you that this is, that this is real. This is what people were observing. And of course, is that, it, don't you, you know, think it, under normal bad. circumstances, this is the kind of thing that would be under intense scientific scrutiny and, and constant study? Uh, do we have uh, medical researchers looking into this uh, worldwide yet? Or is there that completely suppressed? Well, uh, well, yeah, that, that's two very important questions. You know, people, re researchers who care and are interested are increasingly doing, you know, a tremendous work uh, with the resources they have to, to look into these things. What you said earlier that would it not make sense for governments to be on this, for there to be incredible concern? Absolutely it would. But what that requires is us to actually have that motivation uh, in our government. And what we know now about this whole pandemic, okay, uh, all the way from the suppression of hydroxychloroquine and then ivermectin all the way to now is that the motive is actually the opposite, that there's enormous profit motive and maybe other motives in pushing out this vaccine. And I was at the Ron Johnson hearing uh, back on December 7th in uh, Washington, D.C., and I got to speak afterwards. I, I you know, asked uh, the, the uh, renowned epidemiologist Harvey Risch from Yale, who was there, uh, in, uh, if he uh, would speak and we'd engage in a conversation. And I really wanted to talk to him because I'd written an article on hydroxychloroquine uh, at the, you know, back at the sort of the start of all of this, back in the spring of 2021. I got very interested in this question. That's actually what got me onto the whole road that's led to here. And, uh, what he said to me confirmed exactly what I had found uh, in my research on that, that it was not, he said, this is virtually a quote from Harvey Risch. He said, it wasn't because they didn't know that hydroxychloroquine would work, that they uh, started coming out against it. It was because they knew it would work, right? We had data going back to, I believe, 2011, 2010, 2011, where they had done studies, in vitro studies of hydroxychloroquine on SARS-1. And what was hydroxychloroquine doing? It was inhibiting the viral multiplication. Okay, who put those studies out? Well, that came out of uh, NIAID's, you know, funded research under Ralph Barrick. It was Ralph Barrick who was um, doing those studies. So, uh, and, and proudly announcing that they found that this inhibited SARS-1. So, in other words, why was hydroxychloroquine uh, 
suppressed so quickly, so rapidly, so thoroughly internationally. I mean, in Africa, they had bands of people going out and collecting this stuff out of uh, pharmacies and burning it. France banned hydroxychloroquine well before uh, it even came on the radar. I mean, they, they banned it as an over-the-counter drug. It had been over-counter. These things were happening long before Trump mentioned it. I mean, most of us thought, well, the media reaction to Trump was so virulent that as soon as he said uh, something that uh, was positive about a drug, then everybody turned against it. But no, you know, as Robert F. Kennedy Jr. points out in his book, this was going on before Trump. And as Harvey Risch says, it was why was it going on before Trump? Because they already had the initial data that told us this drug should work. And if right. they... They even out. did uh, faulty from. studies in Brazil where oh. they gave a faulty study of overdosing people on hydroxychloroquine to try to prove to you that it was dangerous. Um, so there was a, there was yeah, a, people need to understand that <laughs> against yeah, hydroxychloroquine, that came out of, ivermectin, anything that would work. Yeah. And that study you're referring to that came out of Oxford university, right? So this, these are major uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but yeah, so Oxford University did a study, right, in Brazil where they gave, uh, you know, borderline toxic levels of the uh, hydroxychloroquine to the subjects, levels, I mean, you know, se several times greater than you would ever dose a patient at. And what ho? They found higher incidences of death, okay? They did a similar thing with ivermectin then, um, uh, later back in Brazil, once again, uh, that study uh, claimed that ivermectin had no benefit. Now, they did find a slight benefit for ivermectin, but they said, well, that's not statistically significant. Well, what did they do to produce that, uh, that outcome? They dosed the patients at only 60% of the amount of ivermectin that you should take. They had them take it under less than ideal uh, uh, dosing on an empty stomach rather than on, on with a meal. And they only gave them the ivermectin for 60% the amount of time that you should need it to do its job. So what we're seeing here is that, what, what does that mean? That means people who got into this trial and said, I, I'd like to be involved, and they're hoping they're going to get the drug and that it might have a life-saving effect. They're consciously being deceived so that it won't have right. a life-saving effect. You're in effect killing people. And the media was in I mean, step calling yeah. it horse paste and horse medicine and criticizing oh. anyone who would dare suggest that you could take it. Uh, so there's an agenda. There's coordination. Apparently, it's not for our health. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about the spike protein as soon as we get back. Inflation is out of control. The price of gasoline has doubled in a very short time and interest rates are set to rise. How do you protect and grow your portfolio to make sure that you do not outlive your assets? Invest in annuities that have rate lock. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate free and they can provide an income that you can't outlive. With all the different companies, features, indexes, and benefits which annuities offer, it can be confusing to choose which annuity is best for your unique situation. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate lock annuity that's right for you. Add an annuity to your retirement portfolio and start enjoying the many benefits that smart investors love. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024. 
We are talking to Clinton Ohlers about vaccinated blood, the science of it. And so the spike protein, once people get it in the vaccination, it's not just once and done and it's flushed out of their system. Their body actually becomes a spike protein factory. Can you speak on why that's relevant to uh, blood donations? Yeah, well, I think one of the things, one of the surprising things was that when people were receiving this uh, vaccine initially, we understood, oh, well, what does the vaccine do? It comes and it, it causes, creates like a part of the thing that you are, uh, of the virus that your body is going to be attacked by. And it allows your body to recognize that ahead of time. You know, so you give people, say, killed virus or something. Oh, now it recognizes the virus. Now, in this case, what we did what, with the mRNAs, we said, well, let's have the body produce the part of the virus. However, the part of the virus that the body's producing is the spike protein itself, which is the pathogenic part of the virus. Okay, that's what makes this uh, so risky and so dangerous, and why we're seeing such um, reactions to uh, spike protein. In fact, let me uh, maybe if I will give you a quote, quote from Peter McCullough here. He says, you know, with myocarditis that we're seeing, it's a massive amount of inflation in the heart because spike protein is loading into the heart. And the body doesn't like that. The body reacts to that. And the spike protein damages the delicate cells that support capillaries and the cardiac muscle cells within the heart. Well, why is that? Well, that's because if the mRNA vaccine, it attaches to a cell, right? It causes that cell to start producing the spike. And then what happens? Your immune system starts attacking the cells in your own body that are, that are now dangerous. And it's now in, interpreting your own cells as dangerous foreign invaders, which in fact they are because you just programmed them to produce a, a path, you know, a, a, a dangerous non-human protein. So what are people to do? I know this isn't a medical advice show or anything, but uh, what are some of the yeah. strategies that you've uh, started to learn about? Well, so, so you said, well, you know, how does that affect the blood supply? Well, you know, it affects it in what we were seeing, right, with the, with the dark field by cross that we just saw. And what, you know, why was that so concerning? Well, my first question uh, when I got, uh, you know, became aware of the subject was, well, what kind of percentage of people are we seeing this in, right? You know, are, are these dark field microscopic examples that we have, are they, uh, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 percent, you know, how many percent of the population is this? And or, or are these just severe cases? You know, how representative is it? Obviously, it's a risk, but how big a risk? Well, this was what was so shocking to people was it was 100 percent. Everyone that they were looking at who had had the vaccine and is coming in and donating and doing the, the blood prick test is showing this kind of response. So, you know, I describe it not so much as a game of Russian roulette, in a sense, it's a game of Russian roulette and that you don't know if you're the person who's going to get the myocarditis and drop dead on a soccer field, right? Um, but it's not really like Russian roulette. Well, I guess it's more when, like, it's when like is a, the question, right? I mean, yeah, I mean we're only a couple years out from, from the rollout of the vaccine, so maybe 10 years. Uh, this is an experimental thing, so maybe 10 years from now, that's a completely different uh, level of risk. What about the number of doses? Is that something you've looked into? If people are at higher risk, if they've had two well, or three yes, or I mean, the booster? Right. The, study, the studies are showing that with increased dosages, there's increased risk. And uh, per particularly in, you know, for uh, young people of developing myocarditis, there's another um, uh, increased risk. And Brett, uh, the biologist Brett 
uh, Weinstein did a great description of this on the Joe Rogan show, uh, and it, which is that uh, what they found was that with increased dosing, uh, you have a, 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 a response where your, your antibodies start getting, giving less of a reaction to the disease so that the more doses you have, you get, a, a, you know, antibody, attenu uh, um, well, you, you, the, the response becomes attenuated and uh, you become less resistant. And so that was, a, you know, also a major concern. And so that doesn't simply have to do with the spike protein. Now, the spike protein is significant because the questions are, you know, what's the shutoff valve? How long does the mRNA produce spike protein in the body? How, you know, how much does it circulate? You know, in theory, um, at some point, hopefully your body should have killed off all of the cells that are producing this. That's a question that I'm, you know, actively looking into and trying to get an answer to. But, but when does that happen and how much damage is done in the meantime? You know, a lot of these studies that we did on, uh, or, or kind of the death counts that we looked at and adverse, severe adverse reaction counts that we looked at, these were looked at, you know, two days to two weeks after, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, after vaccination, but what we're finding is, you know, months after people are having these effects. So I just, uh, had a conversation with the parents of a young girl named Krista, who, uh, her family had not wanted the, uh, anyone to get the vaccine because they were aware that this wasn't a risk that made sense to take. She went up, uh, decided to get it anyhow, you know, and make it easier to get into, you know, you know, social events and things like that. And, you know, three months later, uh, she died, uh, of a, uh, of, of a swollen, of the swollen heart and, uh, uh, you know, high glucose levels and, you know, clotting. And so, uh, you know, so that's, that's a, you know, a delayed effect. And that's exactly why under normal circumstances, under every other circumstance that we've rolled out a vaccine, what have we done? Years of study. But what did they do? They cut, they cut this program off very quickly and then vaccinated the test group. And people have speculated, why would you do that? You know, if you if you vaccinate the the control group, I'm sorry, not the test group. They vaccinated the control group, right? If you vaccinate your control group, then years later you can't do a comparison. How did people fare two, three, five, six years out, right? You can't do that, and they, you know that's led to speculation that was intentional. Not, not uh, <laughs> exactly, not get the truth that way. Uh, what about the exactly? What about the shedding of the spike protein? Uh, something anecdotal in my own family. When my father got the jab, my mother started getting uh, nosebleeds immediately. So that she was unvaccinated, yet she had some clotting going on. Um, have you guys looked at any research related to the shedding? Uh, you know, shedding hasn't been uh, an issue of of our primary concern. You know, I've um, you know, I'm aware, too, of things through my own social networks, much like you're describing. Uh, and uh, but that's not you know, I don't think that's been uh, really that's not specific to, you know, our uh, concerns with with the safe blood supply. Right. But that's kind of an after effect of, of yet another thing people might want to be concerned about. Right. So let's lay out your mission moving forward and what research you're focusing on. Well, you know, research that we're focusing on is uh, one thing that we're doing is we're we're looking at developing and and linking with laboratories that are uh, also interested not only in facilitating our uh, uh, working with us as partners. We're uh, because you have to understand at this stage we're we're building infrastructure. We're uh, what we're doing is we're moving to get as much 
um, available vaccinated blood to, to meet that need as quickly as possible. And so sometimes we're, we're described as a blood bank. We're, we're not a blood bank. That's something that would be quite a ways down the road, require an enormous, you know, significant amount of infrastructure and also technological advancements to really uh, enable rapid testing. Okay, what we have now is we can do examination. We can look at blood or look at a donor's pink prank and um, see that, that okay, they, they're, they're not showing any of, of the uh, indications of, uh, of vaccination, uh, you know, through a dark field microscopy exam. That's something that uh, we, you know, we'd like to see uh, laboratories and clinics uh, uh, do more of. You know, that would be a way that that um, you know that's helpful to us. That would be helpful even uh, you know if this if this movement catches on even more widely than what we're doing. Um, and uh, there's, you know, we don't know. You know, Do Dr. McCullough did a very good uh, piece on this whole issue. You know, we don't know how how long the mRNA vaccine circulates, and we don't know how to detect for a lot of these things. I mean, a lot requires technological advancement, and certainly until then, you, it's in your interest to play it safe. Obviously, if the mRNA vaccine is still circulating, you get a blood transfusion that contains it. Now, you've been vaccinated uh, through the back door, per se. Now, hopefully, I, you know, I'd assume it would only seem logical you're vaccinated at a much lower level uh, than getting a full dose to the arm. Uh, but but there are other concerns too. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, before about uh, you know fragmented mRNA. Uh, you know, we're seeing we're starting to see a rise in cancers. Now, this is a really good thing to, to to point out. Everyone's concerns. You know, the early concerns that we heard early on uh, are actually now being realized. Like we're seeing rises in cancers. Obviously, myocarditis. We've seen a huge increase in that. We've seen a huge increase in um, you know um, uh, you know athletes dying. Uh, but what, what, well, what might be causing the increase in cancers? Uh, there you'd have, if you're getting fragments of mRNA and those mRNA are producing carcinogenic proteins, then, right, you, you would get a rise in cancers. Additionally, um, it was Dr. Sukharit Bhatti who pointed this out early on. He said, look, we're injecting into the arm, but this is, coat, you know, the, the mRNA is coated in a lipid that was designed, designed to spread it throughout the body and even get past the blood-brain barrier. Said so. So this is a real problem as the as, as it gets into every organ, and in particular, you would have uh, if if it goes it goes into the arm properly. Then what does it do? It goes into the lymphocytes. It goes in you know into your lymph nodes, and that now makes the lymph nodes producing spike protein. So what happens? Your body attacks your your own immune system, right? Your immune system attacks your lymphocytes. So you got the immune system attacking the immune system. Any surprise that we're seeing increases in autoimmune problems. Then what does that mean down the road? That means those lymphocytes aren't as able to do what they were supposed to do, which is what? Guard against things like viruses. You know, people are reporting that viruses that they had had and were suppressed and were symptom-free from for, you know, long, long periods of time, whether it's herpivirus or Epstein-Barr, these things are resurging. Okay, well, well, that makes complete sense with um, the uh, compromised uh, aspect of the immune system. If this is if the lymph nodes aren't doing their job, he predicts uh, that we should see future outbreaks um, of tuberculosis, particularly in Africa, Asia, and India, where they're endemic. Not so much in in the West. So that would be something to watch for. Uh, but now you've got 
what does the other thing the lymphocytes do? Well, they suppress cancer. So now you've got something that could be producing cancer in you, and you've got a lymphatic system that is less uh, robust in fighting cancer. So uh, one, of the th- is one of the amazing things we've seen is how many uh, of these things that were predicted should happen because of this vaccine are, in fact, we're seeing them happen two years later. And so I think this is all the more reason uh, that particularly if you've been vaccinated and you need a transfusion, you know, it's a, it's a don't, don't keep getting vaccinated. And it would be a very good idea to uh, get connected so that you have a network that can provide blood for you. And so, um, you know, I, I think to answer your question, then, you know, what can people do? Uh, one of the things they can do is they can become members of our site. We've got on there, you know, a living will as a, as a resource so that the hospitals will be aware that, hey, I want my own blood first. And then you are connected with members through, throughout the country and in your area who have said, hey, we'll step up if you need blood. And so what we do then is, as a member, you give us our your information, you know, the, the, the clinic or, or laboratory, the doctor you're working with, and we then connect you with somebody in your area who can then come and give you blood. And then the physical transference of all that, all of the physical and technological side of that all happens locally. And we, you know, bring, you know, facilitate and bring together all of that happening. And it is not just that one person uh, is available to give you blood, right? You need backup. I mean, maybe that person, you know, has um, something come up or an accident or something the, the day of. So we put you in touch with, you know, multiple people in your area who are willing to give you blood. It's fascinating, uh, Clinton, to discuss this. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about unvaccinated sperm, unvaccinated blood. Is this a new currency that has value? Talk about that as soon as we come back. Did you know that there is a community of human beings that live to be well over 100 years old? It's true. The Hunza people live to be anywhere between 120 to 140 years old. Their secret? Vitamin B17. At Richardson Nutrition Center, founder John Richardson and his family have made it their mission to add vitamin B17 back into the human diet. Vitamin B17 is found in over 1,200 foods in nature and has been gradually eliminated from the human diet throughout the past 100 years. Over the past 20 years, our products have helped customers with immune support, energy, heart health, and much more. At Richardson Nutrition Center, we have developed a product line to easily incorporate B17 back into your diet. Use your special American Media Periscope code AMP888 to receive 15% off your first order at rncstore.com. We're talking to Clinton Ohlers about safe blood, and I wanted to ask you about uh, sperm banks. Are they looking for unvaccinated uh, sperm? Because we've heard about the reports of the vaccine affecting, or so-called vaccine affecting uh, the reproductive organs. And what about the value of unvaccinated blood? Does it have a dollar value yet? Is that something that you think in the future uh, could end up having more and more value on a financial level? Wow. Well, you know, I mean, these are really interesting questions of, you know, how the vaccine affects things like sperm count, so forth. Uh, It became really troubling when uh, that recent study showed 
that the liver, the DNA in the liver was being affected by the mRNA vaccine because, you know, we were led to believe this should have no effect on the DNA. And then when anybody said that it did, they were shouted down or that it might even, they were shouted down as uh, conspiracy theorists and really, you know, um, alarmists. And now, now the research is showing that that actually is a real concern. I don't know how serious it is, but obviously it's something that, that we think about too in terms of human reproduction. Is this something that gets into the DNA and literally could affect generations going forward? I mean, certainly we hope not. Uh, and I don't want to create alarm by suggesting that, but I, I'd also don't want to say it's not a legitimate concern uh, it, you know, until we know definitively otherwise. The, in regards to the blood, like, uh, is there, you know, could that become something of value? I'm, you know, I'm sure it, it could, uh, you know, we had, we had somebody, you know, emailed, Hey, I'll give you, you know, a pint of my blood for a thousand dollars or something and see, well, we're not, we're not working that way. This is all voluntary. And even the cost of being involved is just minimal. Uh, you know, we asked that, that donor, that members, you know, pay $20 a year. Uh, but we certainly haven't turned away anyone who said, you know, really, I can't afford that, but I would, you know, love to be involved and be, and be a member and be able to donate and receive. Uh, so, so what we're working to not have any financial, uh, incentive, uh, for this. Uh, but, you know, in, in a world of supply and demand where, you know, uh, you know, upwards of 70% of many countries, uh, civilians, you know, their citizens have received, have received the vaccine. We don't know how long the effects of that is going to last, even if they stop boosting today. Uh, then you've got, you do have a supply and demand issue where there's not a lot of, of, um, unvaccinated blood, but you know, the good news is you can reduce, you can reduce the need for blood, uh, you know, by, we believe up to 80%, uh, just through other methods and including, uh, you know, uh, volume expanders and things like that. So, uh, so we're, we're uh, very much hoping, uh, and, and optimistic that, that, that the needs, that the needs that the world's going to have is going to be able to be met. It does sound like it's, it's an educational process and for people to start doing some planning, you mentioned setting up a living will so that when you go to a hospital, they know the protocol to use your own blood or perhaps the blood of a family member. I don't know if that can be directed, but what about, uh, thinking ahead and, and getting your own blood stored for you for future use, uh, is that an option? Yeah, the, the, the way to go about it is that, you know, blood typically uh, has, stays on the shelf or, you know, in, in the shelf in the in refrigeration for four to six weeks. So storing up blood for yourself, uh, you know, barring some technology, you know, of super freezing or something over a long period of time, you know, I, I don't know anything about that really. But um, in, in terms of practicalness, the, the, you, you can only, you can only plan so far ahead, right? If you know you have a surgery coming up, you can do autologostination. Okay. And, but in the meantime, it's very valuable to be part of, of a network, you know, like what we're providing. And, you know, so if, if yourself is the best person to get your blood for, from who's, who's next best, well, family member, relative. Okay. In other words, people have uh, social networks, right? Like, like my, uh, like my aunt that I mentioned, you know, she didn't have to go very far to come up with a, with um, uh, donors that were, um, you know, compatible. You know, this was before COVID, but you know, the same thing now. And, uh, you know, those, those people in New Zealand, I mean, they quickly had 30 people that were willing to help them. Uh, another thing I've, um, I'm, I'm really interested in is churches. Uh, you know, we're, I'm finding that 
in churches, there tend to be more people, a larger percentage who didn't receive the vaccine. Um, you know, I think from a, a, just a general skepticism towards uh, or maybe awareness of some of the corruption of of the system that we're in. And so, you know, if somebody's a member of a church, I mean, that's a great place to go. You've, you've got a network there where certainly you've got people that you, you know, you, you know, and you like and you trust who are could, could be donors. So we um, and, and I personally would love to speak in, uh, you know, in churches about this, because I, I think that's a real resource and a real good that that community could do. And it's a community that intends to do good. So this just really matches with with their mission. Uh, but but you you do need facilitation. And th the most effective way to be facilitated is to just just be a member of Safe Blood. Uh, and we can facilitate that for you. And the, one of the good things about that is not a time-consuming process. There's really just a few things to fill out, and then you are on the record. And when when the time comes, you know, then you don't have to think about it anymore. And if the time comes for you or a family member, and and now in in the rush and the distress of the need, you're you're already, you know, you're already dialed in. But it, it does depend on the jurisdiction, doesn't it? I mean, you said in the U.S. we have more freedom to choose our donors, but apparently in, in New Zealand, uh, they don't have that option, or yeah. in Switzerland. Can you talk about that, about the options people have to set things up so that uh, they have a network of medical professionals they trust and are on board with them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, really, you know I speak so much as the U.S. representative for Safe Blood that, that I, I get to you know, really present a lot of, you know, the best, the best case scenario, because we have so much, still have so much freedom here. Uh, so if you're in a location that doesn't allow that, then I think really medical tourism is your, your, is your best option, right? You know, we've got, I was just speaking yesterday with our, our lead person in Mexico, you know, a great guy down there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of freedom in a lot of other countries like Mexico and elsewhere, you know, there's a lot of medical tourism, Costa Rica, um, so I think somebody for, or here, right. You know, maybe if you're in Switzerland, maybe it's a time to take an American vacation, uh, and so to speak. And so, so those are things I think in the meantime, you know, there, there's things that we want to accomplish. And then there's just the pragmatic aspect of how do we meet needs now? One of the things we'd love to accomplish is as awareness rises, there should be pressure on these European governments to stop restricting their people this way. There's no good medical reason for it. And it's it simply, um, you know, it's simply harmful. It's a violation of human civil rights, and it, it really shouldn't be tolerated. But that's that's a longer, say, you know, political process and involves policy in, the, in these things. So what do you do in the meantime? In the meantime, you want to have, you know, pragmatic uh, options. And one pragmatic option is, you know, you can join us and you can say, well, I'm in Switzerland, but I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't have these options. Um, so, well, we've got, you know, members in Germany, right? That's not that far away. And, you know, to, to, you, to work, you know, requires extra planning, but, you know, you may want to plan it out a bit ahead of time. Certainly, if, if you've got a kind of procedure coming up that you know, and you've got, you know, weeks to months to, to set it up. Absolutely. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you more about the spike protein factory because we want to learn how to turn it off. We want to learn how to stay safe. We know it's not a medical advice show, but point us in the right direction where we can do our due diligence and find out how to stay safe, keep our blood safe, and safe with those who are our family as well. So we're going to get back.
Who do you trust? And should you? The small, untrustworthy group of people who own and control almost every industry hope you will not even entertain the questions, let alone put in the time to explore the answers. These two volumes of The World Awakens are an encyclopedia of trusted sources who give their honest overview of our real history, the world today, and what lies ahead. Get The World Awakens, Volume 1 and 2, signed by author John Michael Chambers for only $50 each, or bundle the two and add Genocide Jab, all three signed hardbacks for $120. Order today at ampnews.us. For unsigned and all other formats, visit Amazon or Barnes & Noble. We're talking to Clinton Ollers about the science of vaccinated blood. So uh, gave you due warning there about the idea that we're not giving medical advice and, and you're not a medical doctor mm -hmm. here practicing. But, uh, you know, we talk so much about the risks of the spike protein, yeah. uh, perhaps even the that it could be shed onto the unvaccinated. If you get a blood transfusion from someone who was vaccinated, then all of a sudden you have the spike protein in your blood as well. Uh, what are some things that you've been learning about? Maybe you can point us in the right direction to do our own due diligence to find out about what to do to preventative measures, um, treatment measures. I don't know what to say to, to avoid that liability that I'm talking about, but uh, I'll give right. you the yeah, it's, you know, it's a great question, and it's one that I'm very interested in going forward. I, you know, a lot of people ask me this, and uh, it's just been, it's, it's really been beyond my purview, but I'm very interested, too. I think the frontline uh, COVID critical care, you know, the FLCCC, uh, that group, uh, I believe they have some things up on their website, frontline nurses. There's a lot of people who are thinking about this question of what do I do now that, uh I, uh, that, that I have this in my system. I was just talking to uh, a doctor uh, who does ch Chinese uh, and more holistic medicine, uh, Dr. Michael Gaeta. Uh, you know, we, we were, uh, you know, that's, that's something that they're actively thinking about. So I think um, where, you're, where you're, your best place to go is to look for alternative health uh, doctors, you know, and, and naturopaths, um, things like that, who are already onto this issue and looking for these uh, solutions to how you essentially detox from the uh, the COVID nine you know from the COVID nineteen jab. Now, what I think is the most important thing is the the most important thing to fighting the effects of this is widespread awareness. I mean, you had a doubt on talking about you know in his book you know a cause you know cause unknown right which, which of course it's not an unknown cause the cause is clearly known so that you know the title isn't square uh, scare quotes. Um, you know, you had uh, Ed Huffon talking about the origins of this in a laboratory, you know, the significance of that. Um, I think, you know, a piece of evidence that hasn't been talked about and really does need to be is, uh, is infant uh, death in utero. So one of the things that I've said is that, that one of the unknown casualties of this whole uh, thing and of the vaccine rollout has been the number of, of infants who have died um, in, in utero. And the uh, and that, you know, so we're seeing stillborns, right? A rise in stillborns have gone from, you know, a Canadian doctor by the name of Dr. Nagasi. I wrote an article on him. Uh, you know, he said we'd see, you know, one to two every six months. And suddenly we're seeing, you know, you know, 86 in a year. And then that was confirmed 
by another uh, individual, a nurse out in California. Um, she had found in her hospital, they suddenly, she said, we were seeing one to two infant deaths, you know, and this is like often full-term fetuses every Isn't it uh, crazy couple months. that we have to go yeah. over this anecdotal stuff? We have to talk to individual morticians, individual pediatricians and so forth to try to get some information on this. We, we need a database of real uh, adverse reactions to these things to be able to understand the threat. Uh, but uh, it seems right. like everywhere we look, we can't find what we need to be able to learn more. So we need people like you and your organization to help yeah. us out and, and uh, curate the information yeah. the best that you can. Uh, and, and people learn from you how to join, how to, how to uh, be a part of it. Thank you so much for joining and giving us information. We have run out of time, but thank you for watching AmericanMediaPeriscope.com. We are America's Patriot-only network. Get my breaking news updates at SeanMorganReport.com. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck. We wanted to create a premium way for our viewers to be able to connect with the influence of our movement. So we came up with Amp Insider. Get content, information, and special behind-the-scenes coverage that you can't find anywhere else. Only with a subscription to Amp Insider. And coming January 12th, interact weekly with key leaders of the movement with Ask the Expert. Hey friends, Gene Ho here, and you gotta join me for Ask the Experts. I know you have some questions for me. Be with me live and we'll interact, but you have to be an AMP insider to get your ticket into the show. Help support the mission of AMP. Subscribe for only $9.99 per month. Cancel anytime. And as we kick off this new venture, get the first month for $1 by using the promo code AMP888. Go to ampnews.us now to sign up. So join me on January 12th with me, Gene Ho, for Ask the Experts. Welcome to a new era of connecting patriots. AMP Insider.